beginning in verse 1, chapter 3. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery as I wrote before in brief. By referring to this, when you read this, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it is now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit, to be specific, that Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel, of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to me, given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things so that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart in my tribulation on your behalf, for they are your glory. Father, you have blessed me so much with the study of this book and this text. And Father, I pray that my brothers and sisters today through your spirit will have ears to hear and rejoice at the amazement of the mystery revealed. And Father, that each of us are literally playing out a part in this wondrous mystery that you showed us in chapter 1 was created and planned before creation. Help us, Father, to have ears to hear. But Father, as Paul had a passion, may we have that same in your spirit. For your glory in Christ's name. Amen. Now, I shared with you this mystery. Paul was literally in chains for the preaching of this mystery. He revealed this mystery that Jew and Gentile are one. Man and woman are one. Master and slave are one. We are all one in the person of Jesus Christ. And, and I, I, I look at us today and we put up so many boundaries on something that God destroyed with the cross. And yet we put them up anyway. And I don't know if we do that. Well, it's, it's sin. Let's, let's beat around the bush here a bit. Okay? So he was in prison. He was a prisoner of this mystery that you and I have now full access to. But he also showed us what the plan of this mystery was in verses 5 and 6. That Gentiles are fellow heirs. They are fellow members of the body, fellow partakers in the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. That was the plan. It had been hidden in other generations. Nobody knew it was there. I mean, no one, and I've shared with you this, no one knew that there was a gap between the 69th week of Daniel and the 70th week of Daniel. And you and I are existing in that gap right now. But we knew that God had a heart for the Gentiles because we had Jonah. We can see it. When Peter got confronted with the vision, would eat everything, now go down to Joppa where the Gentiles were. That, that was even worse because you had Gentiles and Samaritans. And Samaritans were Jews who had married Gentiles. So you see all of this was there, but no one understood exactly the essence of this thing. No one had an understanding of this entity known as the Bride of Christ. They knew of Messiah. Christ is the Greek word for Messiah. Messiah is the Hebrew word. Anointed. But the anointed is bride. And then yet in this letter we see the Apostle Paul calls it the body. That's that mystery. But we see that there was a preaching of this mystery in 7 to 9. He, the very least of all of the saints in verse 8, this unfathomable riches. That means you can't exhaust the riches. You can't get to the bottom of it. You can't outspend it. 
You can't exhaust it. There is no end unto these riches. And he says, I, the least of the saints, and it was given to me by the working of his power. His power. That's the preaching. Last week we moved into the purpose of this thing. The purpose of this thing. The purpose of the church. The purpose of the body of Christ. I shared with you several weeks ago that foundationally in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, is that the church is the foundation and the pillar of truth. Okay? That's it in simplicity. But why is the purpose of the church? Now, most people will say to get people saved. That ain't what this text says. This text says... The purpose of the church is so that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Okay, Throughout scriptures, anytime you see the rulers and the authorities or principalities in heavenly places, it's always speaking of angels. So the manifold wisdom, the multicolored wisdom of God will be manifested to the angels where? The church. The church. We seen last week that when one sinner repents, what happens? The angels rejoice. The angels rejoice. So we see this is in there. This is in accordance to the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus. But let me show you a couple of other things in the church and its purpose. Okay? You don't have to turn there. If you want to write them down and look at it later. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 10. Okay? The Corinthians were having a problem. The Corinthians, people don't understand it, at the time of the Corinthian letters had a militant feminist movement. Okay, Socrates made a comment. He loved Corinth because bare-chested women were climbing poles and spearing pigs, unquote. Okay, it was very much like that. In the church, that didn't fly, in case you're wondering. If you look at creation, all of creation, okay, I don't care what part of creation you want to look at. There are two things that is common in all of creation. Authority and submission. Okay? I don't care what it is. You can have goldfish. It doesn't matter. All right? The Corinthians were having a problem with this. The Corinthian church. And Paul tells the Corinthian church that women should have authority on their head. Do you know why? Now he talks about it. They, they should have their head covered. They should have long hair and all the rest of it. And I understand that. All right. Do you know why they should have authority on their head, women's? Ladies. Know why? Because of the angels. That's what the text says in Corinthians. If the angels are looking at the church for the manifold wisdom of God, one of the things that they're looking for in the wisdom of God is what? You afraid to say it? I am. Submitted women. Why? God gave men the authority and women submission. And they should have it on their head. They showed submission by their head. When I was in Russia, the last time I was in Russia, if a woman wore a cover, a scarf of some time, she was single. She wasn't married. The women who did not have a scarf on had a husband and they were submitted to the authority of that husband. The single women do not have a husband, so they covered their head. And they base it on 1 Corinthians. See, the hair for the angels, they could see that a woman was submitted. Ladies, you ever thought about that? Angels are checking out your submission. 
Angels are looking at the church and they are looking at the women in the church for their submission. When the angels see the wondrous harmony between leadership and submission, then they see the manifold wisdom of the love in the church and the unity that is in the church. You know, I've got to be honest with you. I've been a senior pastor here for 20, what did I say? 24 years. My biggest battle has been with women. Sorry. I got to get this through to your head. Men and women are equal. But do you understand God made them distinct? Okay, we are one as the Trinity is one. You know what that means? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are equal. They are distinct. All right? The same thing in the body of Christ. Every one of us in this room that are a believer are equal. Every one of us in this room are distinct. Okay? That was God's design. And you know what's really cool about it? Ladies, when you are submitted, men, when you take up your appropriate role as leadership, do you know that the angels praise God for such wisdom? Fascinating, isn't it? Fascinating. When the angels look and see women fighting for the same rights as men, they have nothing to praise. There is nothing to be thankful for, and there is no source for praise. Okay? So the angels are checking the church out. But also, I want you to think about this. 1 Timothy, don't look at these up, you can just write them down. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 21. This is that wonderful text that everybody seems to like or dislike. It's church discipline. Okay, specifically in this text, it is the uh, discipline of an unrepentant elder. Okay, a man in leadership who is unrepentant. And we are told there that if you have an unrepentant elder in the church, you do it publicly. All right, you bring it to the church. And it is a command to do it. You know why? For the elect angels to see. Fascinating, isn't it? Dealing with unrepentant church leadership is for the angels to see so that they will glorify God's wisdom. I think that's awesome. I don't know, women are saying, you knew, no, you wouldn't, but you get over it. <laughs> this mystery that the Apostle Paul was a prisoner of, that he was preaching, has to do with angels watching. They're watching the church when it disciplines, they're watching the church and the church relationships. They want to see, they watch. To see who is getting saved. They're watching this whole thing. They're watching this whole thing. Why? They take this out of the body of Christ, the church, and they glorify God's manifold wisdom in it. But they are also watching each and every one of us. Did you know that? Each and every one of us specifically. Specifically, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14, to the ministering spirits sent to minister to those who are to be the heirs of salvation. Did you hear what I just said? The angelic host is looking at the manifold wisdom in each and every one of us so that they may minister to us. Remember when Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days, he fasted, was tempted by Satan. What happened? Who ministered to him? The angels did. You see it all the time. Every believer 
The angels are ministering to you. They are concerned for you. They are caring for you. Every one of us. Why? When they do that, they manifest the, they see the glory of the manifestation of the glory and wisdom of God. And what do they do? They begin the hallelujah chorus. I have a question, Castle Rock Baptist Church. What do they find looking at us? When the angels look at Castle Rock Baptist Church, are they going to see the multicolored wisdom of God? It's an awesome thought, isn't it? And it be made known to the church. Listen, I, when I look at this, I look at this kind of, if I take a, a major view of this, the purpose of the church, I see God is the teacher. Okay? The universe is the classroom. The angels are the students. And the church is the illustration. And the lesson? The wisdom of God on display. When it's taught well by a church, that is what the angels are going to do is immediately glorify God. Okay? Kind of changes our perspective of what the purpose of the church is, isn't it? doesn't it? Did me. Did me. With that, I want to move into 12 and 13. The privilege of this mystery. Paul came preaching as a prisoner of this mystery. He told us about the plan of the mystery. What was the plan? Join heirs, fellow heirs. He shows us, and we know these years out, the history of the church. Just go through it. You know, there's a quote with Jonathan Edwards this morning. Jonathan Edwards was the founder of the first seminary in New England. Had a huge church, huge, huge church. Most argue that he was the greatest American preacher ever. Jonathan Edwards. If you can get online and check out one of his messages, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. People were falling out of the pews crying during that message. Okay? But you know what? One Sunday morning, they were preparing for the Lord's table. And he said, if you are not saved, do not take of this. You know, within a week, they fired him. Greatest preacher ever. He ended up his ministry as preaching to Native Americans. Okay, an amazing man. Go read any of his stuff. I mean, you just sit there and go, wow. And this is still under British rule, so it's before 1776, so late 1600s, early 1700s. God was smart. So men have been preaching this mystery for 2,000 years. You and I now know the purpose of this mystery. Now, Paul wants you and I to know what is the privilege of this mystery. Verse 12. In whom, okay, Christ Jesus our Lord is what we're coming out of. In whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in Him. Do you really know... Have you ever just sat and said, what does it mean to be a part of the body of Christ? When we put our faith in Christ Jesus, do we understand the privilege in that mystery? You ever just pondered that? 
I'm saying, listen, I'm not talking about, well, I've walked with Jesus for 50 years. Now, I'm talking about the instant that you are saved. You ever thought about what the privilege? Right then, boom, bingo, got it, right there. Do you realize that the moment you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you can go walking right into the very presence of the eternal God and you can do it with boldness? Do you ever think about that? You think about the things that you and I wrestle with moment by moment, and yet because we are part of this mystery, we are in Him, we can go into the presence of God with boldness. You ever thought about that? That scares me to death. When I first started wrestling, I was like, that's got to be a misprint. That's a bad translation. There's something wrong going on there. Nope. Guess what? Boldness. We can go with boldness and, and, and confidence. Confidence. Can Now, when I first read this, of course, I wrestled with it a little bit. I don't know about you. I just sit there and go, whoa, wait. You know, you know there's certain people that you give respect to and being bold before God seems suicidal. Just bad idea. But that's what it says. Now, I thought I've wrestled with this for a few weeks, actually about a month. And as I got it kind of going around, the next thing that kind of popped up in my pea brain is, can you imagine what the Jews thought when they heard this? Listen, the Jews were adamant multiple generations that only once a year and only one person went into the presence of God. And he had better have his ducks in a row before he wanders in there. Let me express this to you. We studied this, one of my favorite places. But I want you to hear it in light of what you just heard. You may go, because of your faith in Jesus Christ, into the very presence of God with boldness and confidence. Okay? Let me give it to you. Such confidence we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God who also made us adequate as servants of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, the Spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death in letters engraved on stones, you know what he's referring to? Ten ten Commandments. Came with glory. So that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face fading as it was. You know what he's described to you? Moses got the Ten Commandments. He was in the presence of God. He comes cruising back down the hill and the Jews look at him and he looks like a lightning bug. He's going. The Shekinah was on him. He was reflecting the Shekinah and yet what happened to it? Faded. But what did the nation of Israel do? Whoa. (laughs) Whoa. Whoa. How will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? For if the ministry of condemnation has glory. Now think what he's saying here. Much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. The ministry of condemnation. You know what that is? The Old Covenant. The Old Testament. What's the ministry of righteousness? New Testament. How much greater is that glory? For indeed, what had glory in this case 
has no glory because of the glory that surpasses it. That's amazing. Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech. Why? Because we are speaking of a glory that surpasses the glory of the old covenant. And are not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. See what he just did? That glory of the old you hid, you covered. But their minds were hardened, for until this very day at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it is removed in Christ. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. That should make you just jump up and do a happy dance, even if you can't dance. That is every believer. That, well, that's the past. No! Every believer has an unveiled face, are manifesting the glory of God in our actions and our words. Why? So the angels can look upon the multicolored wisdom of God and praise Him for it. That text that I just read you is out of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning at verse 4 to the end of the text. 4 to 18. He contrasts the Old Covenant with the New Covenant. He contrasts the glory of the Old Covenant with the glory of the New Covenant. He contrasts the veil of the Old Covenant with the lifting of the veil and the New Covenant. Charles Spurgeon spoke of it this way. He says that the Old Testament is the most eloquent mansion you could ever imagine humanly possible. And the New Testament turns all the lights on so you see the most minute detail. And that's what we believe in. That's where we are, brothers and sisters. You and I are nothing but a mirror. If you read this, it is a mirror reflecting what? The glory of the Lord. Why? Because the veil has been removed. We can see. We can see. Paul wants us to know there's a new day in this mystery. We are not like Israel. We do not have a veil. It is way, way different. This new unveiled mystery. Behold! It's the church. And you know what? It breaks my heart in this country to see how flippant we are, the congregation of the saints. That may be one of the greatest tragedies I've ever experienced in my life. Church, I can take it or leave it. It's hot, it's cold. It snowed, it rained. And all I can think of is the angels are longing and looking upon the church to see the congregation of the saints in the unity of the spirit of the living God where there is now all one and yet distinct manifesting the full-blown Wisdom of the Most High God. And we are too busy for that. I don't know. That seems like insanity to me. We all 
at the moment of our salvation, have instant access. Instant access. Let me see if I can clear something up for you a second. You ever heard of prayer chains? And prayer partners and all this other stuff? I can guarantee you that almost 100% of people have no idea what that's for. Okay? Every one of you have the same access to God that I have, that John MacArthur has, that Jonathan Edwards has, that Charles Spurgeon had, Robert Murray McShane had, um, John Calvin had, Martin Luther had. You have the same access. Yours isn't more important, more or less. The only reason that we share it with other people, you know why? You know why? The only reason biblically to share your prayer requests to other people? So other people can take time and praise God when it's answered. I have a lot of prayers that I never share with anybody, and I thank God. Oh, he answered that. Why? Why did he do it so fast? But I share my prayer requests with other people, because when they're answered, I want a hallelujah chorus. I want a bunch of people say, you know, that goofy, he told me, and it happened. That's why we share a prayer request. It isn't, well, if we get a bunch of us together, we'll all, we can badger him a bunch. That ain't it. Well, two or more gathered in my name. That's church discipline. Ain't got nothing to do with prayer. Well, maybe for the person being disciplined. Well, there's one bonehead on a deserted island praying he has direct access to God with boldness and confidence. And the reason that we share with one another is that when he answers that we can all look at each other and go, Whoa, did you see that? We go with boldness and access with confidence. Literally into God's presence. What a relationship. I've told you the story of the lady one time when we were downtown. They come out and she says, you're surrounded by angels. And I'm like, oh, cool. And that's exactly what I said. Well, cool. <laughs> she says, well, I can show you how to learn to, to control them. I said, well, I don't need that. She says, are you sure? And I said, no, I know their boss. <laughs> We're like this. <laughs> so I don't need to control it. I let him do it. I tell him. The privilege of the ministry is full access at the instant that you put your faith in Jesus Christ. Remember what I told you when we started into this book? You deal with position first. Do you see your position? I have full confidence. You know what, when you read that, do you know what it says? You know what he's saying to you? Full confidence means I can never, ever be rejected. I don't care if you're eyeball deep in sin and you're just begging for help with it. You have absolute confidence to go into the holy of holies and beseech the creator of existence. I have every right to go to him, regardless. Did you know that? You don't have to, oh, I've got to get it cleaned up a little bit and then I'll pray. No, you should pray before. Why? The writer of Hebrews says we have a sympathetic high priest. You know what that means, right? It don't matter your trouble. That high priest, I can go with confidence. And we know that when I go there, I am adamant. I will find grace and mercy. I am confident on that. Brothers, you and I need to be bold on that. I don't care what you're struggling with. I don't care what that goofy thought was you had. Go into His presence and know that grace and mercy is there because of our sympathetic high priest. That's privilege, brothers, sisters. That's privilege. That's privilege. Verse 13. I should go back to Ephesians, huh? I read verse 13. It could be weird. 
Verse 13. Therefore, therefore what? Because I have access with boldness and confidence. Therefore, I ask, do not lose heart in my tribulations on your behalf. The mystery is so wonderful. And the privileges are so miraculous. Paul had one focus. I'm going to preach this mystery. I am its prisoner. I will present this plan. I will labor. I will strive in the power of the Holy Spirit. I am fighting for this purpose. I want all of you collectively to be so unified that the wisdom of God is manifest to the angels who are watching us and they bring glory to God in heaven. All in the focus of the privilege. Now some would look at the Apostle Paul and they would think, You know, the guy's in chains. He's always been run out of town. He's always getting arrested. Is it really worth it? If he wants to be apostle to the Gentiles, why don't we just hang out with the Gentiles? But he always goes into these Gentile cities and he looks for a synagogue. And... He just makes everybody mad before he even gets started. Listen. I know what Paul's thinking. When you understand the incredible truth of what it is to be in the church, how in the world do you shut up? What a privilege it is. That privilege outweighs, I don't care what the tribulation is. I got detained in Moscow a number of years ago, and they wanted my papers, and they take you back down to this place in the subway. I was getting ready to get on a train. They took me in this little hole in the wall thing, and got one, it's just like one of the movies. Got one little stupid light bulb hanging from the ceiling, and they're all sitting there, looking through your papers and all this other stuff, and I was like, yeah, I'm CIA, dude. (laughs) Okay? And it didn't, I didn't have no phase on it. God asked me what I was doing. I said, I'm preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. You want to hear it? Okay, they let me go. It's obvious. I got stopped this last fall when I was in uh, Georgia. We went up to a place and uh, we were, (laughs) here's how brilliant I am. I was going to go share the gospel with Chechnyans. Okay, those are Russian Muslims. Wonderful people. But the guy says, you want to go share? Yeah, man, I'm in. Let's go. I've been teaching the book of Romans for two weeks. Let's get it. We go up there and all of a sudden, the Russians had annexed three miles of Georgia. And so where we were going, where the Chechens was, was now Russia. So we come around the corner and here's these armored cars sitting out there and all the rest of it. And these guys, and I'm not the brightest bulb in the package, but I looked at that and I was like, them don't look like Georgia. That looks just like them Russian uniforms I seen in Moscow. Sure enough, there was. Guess what? I don't need a visa in Georgia. I do in Russia. Not only do I need one in Russia, I have been kicked out of Russia. Under the last administration, anybody had a, uh, what do you call it, multi-entry visa is no longer allowed in Russia. So I can't get a visa to Russia. Something, oh, that's going to work out really cool. Especially when they see that Russian stamp in my passport and oops. But anyway, I learned a long time ago. I know a little Russian. I can kind of pick up on what, what the gist is. But I don't tell anybody I know that. That way I know if I start running, they may not be expecting me to take off already. Okay? <laughs> so the guy asked me, what are you doing? He said, I'm teaching the Bible to God-fearing people. He said, I'm teaching the epistle of Romans. It's the full gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It deals with every part of humanity and all of life for eternity. Would you like to hear it? And you, you'd have thought I shook a snake at him or something. But get out of here. I like it when a Russian soldier with a machine gun over his shoulder does this. <laughs> You're like, yeah, that's, that's kind of odd. Do you see what I'm trying to get at? What are they going to do? 
kill you? Oh, poo. <laughs> Maybe I can get you saved and we can go together. That's the confidence that we have. That's the way the Apostle Paul, he said, whatever the privilege is, outweighs any tribulation. You know what? And the tribulation is worth it to get the message out. I spent 11 days in Georgia with full-blown pneumonia. And it was so bizarre. I could not sleep at night. I just laid and coughed. And I could sit up in a chair and I got a little bit better. And you'd find yourself sleeping like this and then, yeah, whatever. It just doesn't work. Uh, I had a Russian doctor who was in my class. And he gave me, I don't know, <laughs> whatever. I mean, here, take a big mug of wine, boil it so the alcohol's all gone. Drink that, you'll sleep. And I was like... All right, you're the doctor. So I did it. Of course, everybody's standing there watching me. Are you going to do it? The doctor's okay. And they gave me some antibiotics and some stuff like that. It didn't even phase it. But what was weird was is that when the class was starting in the morning, I was teaching eight hours a day, six days. When the class started, the cough was completely gone. As soon as we took a break, I'd start coughing. I'd drink about a bunch of little bottles of water. When I started teaching again, it stopped again. But I wasn't going to teach 24 hours a day, so I didn't cough. Now, when I got on the airplane to fly back, everybody thought I had tuberculosis. But that's, <laughs> that's another problem. See what I'm trying to get at? Please, brothers and sisters, do you understand the treasure you have? And not only that treasure, when you throw it out there, the angels look down and say, The manifold wisdom of God, hallelujah, holy of holies. I went through all them verses last week out of the book of Revelation. That sounds like a party. The privilege is worth the tribulation. It's worth it to get the message out. Okay, now look at the end of verse 13. Because my tribulations are on your behalf. Interesting phrase. For they are, what? Your glory. Brothers and sisters, you need to grasp that. The glory it brings to each of us is the glory of God. Let me tell you about it in John 17. Verse 22. The glory, all right, this is Jesus's, this is the Lord's prayer, Okay. John 17 is the Lord's Prayer. This is Jesus speaking. The glory which you have given me, I have given, past tense, them. What is that glory? That they may be one just as we are one. Who's he talking to? That's Jesus speaking to God the Father. Now, they are absolutely one, yet they are distinct, correct? I in them, you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. Now listen, I don't know about you, I'm not a theologian. I don't play one on TV. But if Jesus prays something, what do you think the odds of it being answered are? Huh? Do you think he's wandering around trying to figure out what God's will is? So that the unity that God the Father, God the Son has, has been given to the... What? I in them, you in me. That's Jesus' prayer. See, we always talk about being indwelled by the Holy Spirit, right? Check out what we're going to look at next. That you'll be strengthened in the inner man by the Holy Spirit and that Jesus will be at rest in you and you will know the love that surpasses knowledge so God will do exceedingly abundantly beyond what you can think or imagine. So which are you indwelled with? 
We'll get more into that. See, John 17 is fulfilled in the body of Christ when the people of Christ start getting a handle on what their position in Christ truly is. I have shared with you one of my greatest frustrations is that I know people, most Christians know the do's and don'ts of Christianity, but that very few Christians know what they actually possess in Christ. And I hope that we overcome that. I hope we start saying, you know what? This is what I possess. Paul said, don't worry about me being a prisoner. Don't be faint over my difficulties. It's worth it. Why? Because your lives will manifest His glory and the angelic host will look upon it and praise God in heaven. You know what that is? That's a servant's heart. I'm not worried about me. I'm worried about you glorifying God so that the angels rejoice. Remember, he's the least of the saints. Paul is saying, whatever it costs me to get you the message, it is a cheap price. Now, he just gives the message. Guess what? In verse 14, he takes off and says, this is why I better pray. He did it earlier in the, in the book, chapter 1, verse 15. For this reason, I too, after hearing the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, which exists among you and your love for all the saints, I do not cease giving thanks for you and making mention of you in your prayers, that God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and a knowledge of Him, and may your eyes that your heart might be enlightened so that you will know the hope of His calling and what is the riches of His glory, of His inheritance in the saints. Why? I gave you some of the most mind-numbling theology you've ever heard, and I'm going to have to pray that your numb mind gets it. Let's wrap it up. How about you? You willing to spend it all? As the Corinthians, Paul told them, to be spent, to get someone the message of the unfathomable riches of Christ. Are you willing at any price to make sure everybody understands the fellowship and the stewardship of the church? Any price. Are you willing at any price to get them the word? Are you willing to pray? Years ago, we had a Sunday night service. And we had a group that came together. And we listed, everybody that was there, we listed people that were unsaved in our lives. And we prayed for their salvation. Okay, And we promised among the group that was there, every day we would pray for these people's salvation. There wasn't a lot of us. There were about six. And they, all of us had people that we knew positionally were not saved. Joe was one. Joe came. Aaron Johnson was one. Aaron came. I can go through a list. Uh, last couple of weeks ago when Brian was here, he went through, he had his list. He says, how many more of these? But you think about that. Are you willing to pray? Are you willing to go? Are you willing to talk? Are you willing to walk? Are you willing to preach? Are you willing to teach? How about this one? Are you willing to give? Paul was. Paul was. This mystery is the good news. And God calls each and every one of us to declare it. And I pray that this will minister to our hearts personally. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. Understanding the purpose and the privilege the preaching of this wonderful mystery, the plan of this mystery, and knowing that uh, each of us should be a prisoner of it. Yet, Father, 
I even understand it now looking at the Apostle Paul that as powerful as he was after he shared he prayed so Father I pray for this reason I bow my knees before the Father he would grant you according to his riches be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man Christ would dwell our hearts through faith rooted and grounded in love we may be able to comprehend all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge and that you God would do exceedingly abundantly beyond what we could think or ask to you my king Christ's name Amen.